Well, let's go old school if we can. We're doing 15 verses today, but you need the exercise. So uh, stand with us out of reverence for God's Word. And we're going to be reading Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. Dial in on your phone, if you would, if you have the Bible app, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. And if you have a Bible, open that up if you would. It'll be on the screen if you don't. And we're reading from the NIV this morning, the New International Version. So Susanna's going to read Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. So Susanna, it's all you. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town in the village to Jesus. Okay, hold on. So when he says, this is Luke writing, when he says the twelve were with him, do you know who that is? The twelve disciples. I'm sorry? The twelve disciples. That's pretty good. All right, go ahead. Yes, I think so too. Go ahead. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the Okay, hold on a second. (laughs) Mary, from whom seven demons had come out. We want to just pause over that for a second. Go ahead. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna... Hold on. <laughs> That's kind of a nice name, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, all right, go ahead. And many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd... You know, that gives us... Sorry, Susanna. <laughs> that gives us just a little indication of maybe how Jesus did his ministry... There were a group of women around him who were evidently contributing out of their own means to help Jesus and the twelve that were traveling with him in his itinerant ministry. And one of those women was named... Susanna. Yeah, very good. All right, go ahead. What's your name? Uh, Susanna. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed... As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil and came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but the others I speak in parables so that through seeing they may not see, through hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by preserving, produce a crop. Father, we pray that our hearts would be good soil today. I want to pray also, Lord, that you will make us effective sowers. We thank you for the, really the privilege of 
joining you in your work of casting seed. And inspire us today, Lord. Be mindful of that. Be more effective at that. To join you in your work of giving life. Lord, I pray for any of us here today who have been path soil. I pray today that there would be a softening. For any of us, Lord, who have been rocky soil, I pray that the rocks would be dug out and you would penetrate past our defenses and our our hardness. I pray for those of us who have been thorn-infested soil. God, we give you permission today to weed the soil of our hearts and make it good soil. Hear us today as we hear you. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, there are different ways to deliver a message. Really, messages have different characters, don't they? You can be exasperated in your message, like when Susanna is speaking to her younger brother, she might say something to him like, Sammy, how can you be so nutty? Her message can be a message of exasperation. Or, when Susanna passes her one true love in the hallway at school, she'll be like, hey. And then her message is loving and it's even flirtatious. What is the character of God's message? What's the nature of God's message to us? God's word to us. What is it like? God's message to us. Uh, Jesus' parable today gives us an indication of that. And what we're really going to do today is look at like five kind of characteristics of God's message to us. And a couple of these, pretty obvious, a couple of them I think are a little bit surprising. First, according to Jesus, God's message is life-giving. Look, Jesus could have compared God's message to a rock. A rock is firm, it's stable, you can count on it. God's character, in fact, in the Psalms is compared to a rock, but a rock is cold and lifeless. Uh, Jesus could have compared God's message to the wind. It's powerful, it's mysterious. In the passage we looked at last week, he actually did compare God's influence in our life to the wind. But the wind lacks personality, and again, it's lifeless. He could have compared God's message to the sea. It's vast, it's immeasurable. It was the centerpiece of the lives of his hearers. They would have certainly understand it. And while the the sea gives fish, it itself cannot give life. You can't even drink the water from the sea and have it be nourishing. Instead, very frequently, and here in the analogy that Susanna read for us this morning, Jesus compared God's message to a seed. And a seed is the source of life. All the life that will be, all the fruit, all the beauty, all the strength is carried in the seed. I honestly believe that when Jesus captured my heart, I came alive. Some of you had that experience as well. And all that I would become was buried in me in that moment. Those of you who have a real connection with God because of what Jesus Christ has done, I want you to think for a moment right now about the period in your life or maybe even the moment when you decided, I'm in, and you crossed the line of faith. I want you to think about other moments when you have felt like really connected. Something happened in your day or or maybe we were here together and there was a profound sense of His presence. I want you to think for a second about the life in that moment. 
God's message in us ultimately produces fruit. It brings forth life. In fact, because of that, its impact spreads and grows. In the metaphor Suzanne read for us today, Jesus said, when the seed grows up, it produces a crop a hundred times more than was sown. That's one of the reasons for our series title. When God's message takes root, it spreads. In another place, Jesus offered up another parable. He said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. When God's message gets planted in us, it spreads, it expands, and it grows. It blesses us, and then we become a blessing to others. Here's what this means for us. First of all, when I receive God's message, it gives me life. And then I can give life to others. And secondly, when I offer this message to others, I'm giving them something they need. I'm giving them life. God's message is life-giving. Secondly, according to Jesus, God's message is, well, hold on, wait for this. According to Jesus, God's message is rejectable. Jesus describes four kinds of soil in this story. There's the path soil, the rocky soil, the thorn-infested soil, and the good soil. And ultimately, three of those reject the seed. Okay, this is counterintuitive. We're clearly talking about God's message here. And three out of four people who hear it reject it. Think about the school bully for a second. He's usually the biggest guy in class, and his message is not rejected, at least not twice. But God isn't the school bully. That's the point. He has that reputation in some places, the big bad judge in the sky who doesn't do what I want, and sometimes he does what I decidedly do not want. But according to Jesus, this isn't true. God has made himself so vulnerable to us that his message can be rejected. Here's what this means for us. First of all, God is a gentleman. He's made himself vulnerable to me. He makes me an offer, and I can reject that offer. But why in the world would I? Second thing this means for us is, you know, we are actually encouraged repeatedly to be part of the sowing process. I was going to ask Susanna when she was reading at one point when she started the parable, Jesus says, hey, a farmer goes out to sow. And I was going to say, Susanna, who's he talking about when he says the farmer? And I bet Susanna would have said, you know, maybe God. And she would have been right. He's also talking about us. Because when God does his actual sowing, he does that sowing often through us. He uses our hands to scatter the seed. In fact, after Jesus was resurrected, he was hanging out with his disciples at one point. Imagine that. And it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 1. And Jesus says to them, hey, look, you're going to be my witnesses. And we're going to start that process here in Jerusalem. You're going to tell Jerusalem about me, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth, you're going to spread the message that I give life. So we're part of the process. And from the perspective of the sower, we need to know that first of all, when we sow, we do not sow from a position of power, but with vulnerability. We speak from a position of vulnerability, not a position of power. At the risk of boring us, I'm not going to take long to do this this morning, but I have to make a comment here. 
I was going to begin this morning by making pretty extensive cultural comments, and I decided not to because I'm reserving the right. I, I think I may next week, but I, I just didn't think we had time today, and I want us to really have some time to remember what our gathering is all about. So we're going to do that in a few minutes when we come up and participate in the, the meal together. But I was struck this week, really, the past couple of weeks, I don't know if any of the rest of you were, but I was struck by the feeling that culturally in America, the needle has moved pretty dramatically lately. And it became for me noticeable through a variety of things that happened over the last few weeks. You know, we saw a CEO lose his job because he contributed to a cause from his own private money years ago. And the cause that he contributed to is not the culturally relevant, tolerant perspective, supposedly, from the perspective of our culture. We also saw, I don't know how many of you followed the NFL draft, but we saw the first gay professional football player get drafted this week, and good for him, seriously. But I thought that the way ESPN, uh, the sports network, covered that drafting was an indication of how far the, the cultural needle has moved in America. It was the kind of coverage, it wasn't just reporting. It was reporting and daring anyone in the culture to raise any kind of flag about it, any kind of flag about it, really even him as a football player. But here's what I want us to think about this morning. As we think about the way the culture around us is shifting, and it certainly is, no comments about the culture. I will have some next week. I'm deciding right now I'm going to do it. But I want you to think this morning about the way you respond to that. I promise I haven't heard any of you talk about this. I'm not talking about anyone in particular. We had a great discussion about this the other night in my small group. But I want you to think about the way you respond to this at work or the way you respond to this on Facebook. And I want you to remember that Jesus' message was a message of vulnerability. He didn't come from a position of anger or power. He never lorded it over anyone. But what he did was served, and he offered up. I'm not telling you that as an American citizen, you don't have the right to be, you certainly have the right to express your opinion and to say whatever it is you feel like you need to say. But understand that if you say what you're saying, if you exert power, remember the First Amendment. And if you do that with anger, you may be setting yourself up to not be able to deliver God's message, which is a message of vulnerability. It's rejectable. And we absolutely, again, we have the right as American citizens to step into this. Maybe we even have the responsibility as American citizens to step into this cultural moment. That just helps me illustrate for us how remarkable it is that God's message is rejectable. God comes with vulnerability and makes us an offer. He doesn't impose anything on us. He's making us an offer. Now, why would you reject it but 
Some do. From the perspective of the sower, we've got to remember, first of all, that we speak from a position of vulnerability. I think, secondly, we have to remember that, listen, as sowers and gateway, this is a word to us. Those of you who are visiting today, thanks so much for coming. We're in the process of transitioning as a church. We're at the beginning stages of a building program. We're going to be building across the street. We're breaking ground on a piece of property. As you go out toward 50 down Gum Spring Road, the road splits, go to the right. And if you look over to the right, we've got some big obnoxious signs over there that say Gateway Community Church. That's our property. It's more than 17 acres. And we're going to actually knock down some trees and break ground over there next spring. And we're really excited about it. But you know what we've got to take this process into consideration, Gateway. We've got to figure out how over the next couple of years and then for the 40 years after that, I'll be long gone, but for the 140 years after that, we've got to figure out how, listen, we've got to figure out how to sow a lot of seed. Because 75% of them are going to be rejected. That's Jesus' standard. So we've got to sow a lot of seed. You know, we may be frustrated by the intake process as a church over the years and it may be that one of our problems is we haven't sown enough seed because even Jesus was working with a three-fourths principle three-fourths of the people who hear God's message are going to reject it the message is rejectable so the message is life-giving but it's strikingly it's rejectable thirdly I'd say according to Jesus responding to the message requires the right kind of heart it's not an academic exercise The most intimate parts of ourselves, the deepest parts of ourselves, this is where we respond to God or where we do not. It's a matter of the heart, Jesus says. According to Jesus, the good and noble heart hear the message, retain it, and persevere producing a crop. It's not the right kind of ears. It's not the right kind of home. It's not the right kind of reasoning. It's the right kind of deep insides. It's the right kind of heart that hears the message and responds. Here's what this means for us. As a responder, as soil myself, God is after my heart. And I have to remember that. God is after the deepest part of me. And that's where I resonate with Him and connect with Him or do not. It's not about the ritual. It's not about checking a box and coming to church on Sunday morning. It's about the deepest part of me connecting with Him. And as a sower, let's remember the response does not primarily depend on the seed or the sower, but on the soil. For one thing, that takes some heat off of us, doesn't it? The response to the seed that is sown, it depends primarily on the soil. It's a matter of the heart. Okay, south of D.C., there's an intersection where two highways come together. You're familiar with it. 495, otherwise known as the Beltway, and I-95, the most highly traveled road in America. This monstrosity of 20th century engineering, sorry for the graininess of it, it's a satellite photo, This monstrosity of 20th century engineering spans several miles and includes a glut of overpasses and exit ramps that are a maze to figure out. Even if you've driven over, under, and through the interchanges hundreds of times, you still have to pay attention or you'll lose your way, or worse, you'll get run over by an eminently patient Northern Virginia commuter. Most of us in the area affectionately call this exchange the mixing bowl. Just about everyone in the Washington metropolitan area has at one time or another driven into the mixing bowl with a smile on their face and a song in their heart only to find themselves driving out an hour later with visions of selling everything they own and moving to a deserted island. 
The good news is that everyone eventually does make it out, at least so far. <laughs> I, think, I think there may be a few people still wandering around, but most have made it out. The bad news is that a few people come out with the same attitude with which they went in. Your heart is like a hub. Your heart is a mixing bowl. And everything we experience in life gets channeled through our hearts. And when our hearts are jammed up with present worries and past pain and unforgiven slights, it becomes like a parking lot that sours everything that passes through it. God's message cannot pass through such a heart. Or let me change that. God's message will not pass through such a heart. So let's do our best to lift up pure hearts to Him. Good and noble hearts ready to receive what He has to say. Think about that for you and I on an average Sunday morning as we come here. Are we coming here with good and noble hearts ready to hear and ready to receive? Do we wake up each day and engage our heart with Him ready to hear, ready to receive? Fourth, according to Jesus, the message, hang on for this one, the message is, it seems, intended to confirm the rejection of some. I'm going to say that again. The message is intended to confirm or maybe even elicit or solidify the rejection in some who hear it. Need to wrestle with that for a second and then hear Jesus' explanation of the parable. He says this again back to Luke chapter 8. When he's explaining it, beginning in verse 10, he says, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that, and now he quotes from Isaiah, and it's a scary passage from Isaiah. Though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. And it's clear throughout Jesus' ministry that he intends and his purpose, his God-given purpose was not so much to be a sign pointing people away as a fork in the road that asks people to decide, are you in or are you out? So this view of Jesus that he's a nice, flower-toting, sweet guy, come on, let's all have a love-in together, doesn't match up with the New Testament picture where Jesus is clearly a fork in the road. For us, this means when we act as sowers, we will sometimes be confirming people, even solidifying people in their unhealth. But it's still the ministry to which God has called us. And some of you have experienced that with friends, maybe family. Maybe you've had relationships with people and you've told them ten times and they end up right back in the same place. Jesus tells us that's part of the ministry of God's message. And I pray that that's not the ministry of His message for anyone here today. I pray that there's no one here today who's being confirmed in their rejection of His message. Because that's part of the nature of the message. Finally, believe it or not, according to Jesus, the message has enemies. The enemies are, in order... The devil, our weak character, and the world, the culture around us. Now first, you and I really, we're used to this, but we know this. But you and I should be asking, how is this possible? How could God's life-giving message have enemies? 
But Jesus clearly tells us that it does, and we know this from experience. We know this from the struggle in our own heart. We felt it in our own hearts, and you and I will live spiritually naive lives if we don't recognize this reality. God's message has enemies. First of all, along the path soil, Jesus explains that birds come and take the seed away, and his explanation is, this is the devil. For you and I, there is a spiritual enemy. You and I have a spiritual enemy who has set himself against us and against God and all his purposes and God's purposes for us. And we live spiritually naive lives if we don't recognize that. God's message in us and to us and through us has enemies, and the first is the devil. It would be an interesting exercise to think about when this has happened in you. When God's seed has been cast and your heart has been path soil and the devil has come and taken it away. The, the second enemy that Jesus lists is the rocky soil or our own weak character. He says that trials and tribulations come and the plant withers and dies. It would also, wouldn't it, be interesting to think about when this has happened to you. When because of your weak character or mine, uh, some word from God or some activity of His in our lives has shriven and died. Shriveled. Shriven. I don't know if shriven is a word, but it should be. And died because of our character. Because of what the Bible in many places calls our flesh. And finally, there is the thorn-infested soil where the seed is sown and it takes root and it grows up, but thorns grow up around it and crowd it out. And this is the world and the culture around us. Again, let me return to my cultural comments from earlier. I think it's worth noting that the world that Jesus describes here is not the pervasive and creeping and leaking liberalism that is clearly influencing American culture. But the world that Jesus is talking about is materialism and self-reliance. It's riches and worries and pleasures. And I need to say something to Gateway's parents for a moment. If you're a parent, you know, a word of warning to you. Again, I reserve the right to re repeat myself and do this more effectively next week because I, I do want to take a five-minute moment and kind of address this. I think we need to together, if nothing else, to begin a, a dialogue together about how we respond to this. Uh, some of you have been at Gateway for a long time. You've heard a little of my story, and you know Diane and I, before living in northern Virginia, we lived and I pastored in an urban context in the Boston area in a very, very poor neighborhood. And I went to that neighborhood just trying to give you context. This is not a preaching moment. This is a sharing with you as a brother in Christ. I went to that context as a social and political person who leaned a couple of degrees left of center. And, you know, I lived in the Socialist Republic of Massachusetts for a number of years and worked in an urban context where American liberalism thrives. And I believe American liberalism is... A wonderful, well-intentioned movement. But during my time in, in a, really a hotbed of American liberalism, and I went in leaning that direction, I moved steadily in the other direction during our years there and got increasingly in my own 
politics, theologically I've always been pretty conservative, but in my own politics and certainly socially, I got increasingly conservative. Really not so much in reaction to the pervasiveness of liberalism, but really in response to what I believe is the ineffectiveness of liberalism. I just don't think it works, or at least the way American liberalism is currently constructed. I don't think it works. And socially, I think liberalism, again, well-meaning by stepping outside of, and I think it's okay for our boys and girls, even though this is boring, I think it's okay for them to hear this and know that we talk about this. And you should in your homes as well. But, you know, I think American liberalism in its attempt to be tolerant and welcoming of all has made the mistake, and maybe the disastrous mistake, of throwing out standards. So I believe, for instance, that there is a biblical expression of human sexuality. And I believe that certain uh, sexual expressions are wrong and against God's command. Not desires, but expressions of those desires. I believe they're wrong. Having said that, I want to offer up a warning to some of you who are raising young kids. I want you to know that it is entirely possible for you to raise terrific, down-the-line, conservative-thinking children who are far from God. And if you do that, you've lost. You missed the point. The goal is not for you and I to, to raise people who have the right social or political perspective. The goal for you and I is to expose people from a position of vulnerability, to expose people to God's message. And that message, that message, will do exactly what it did in me. It will take root and it will flower and it will grow and it will spread and it will move people in the right direction. We don't need to impose that on others. We offer God's message and that message will take root and flower and spread. That's always the way of Jesus. The Jesus movement never works from the top down. The Jesus movement always works from the bottom up. Clearly, some of us may feel like we have a ministry and a need to speak prophetically to a culture around us, to uh, the people around us. And that's well within your right if that's what you believe God has called you to do. Because there's a biblical model for speaking prophetically to the culture. But know that the, the standard for speaking prophetically is really, really high. You know, the Old Testament prophets, if they weren't right, they were stoned to death. And also know that typically that's not the way God delivers His message. Typically the character of God's message is a message of vulnerability. It's a message offered up in love and grace. It's a message that can be rejected. It is so vulnerable. But it's a message that gives life. And so from you and I, if our lives express the life of God, why would anybody reject it? They do, but why would they? Because what we're offering them is good news. And it's our job to do so, to offer good news. Enough. Let me close in prayer, and then let's go to this meal. Father, I don't know how uh, you would speak to each of us today or how you have spoken to each of us today. But I ask, Lord, that you would seal your 
word to us, that you would protect it, that you would protect it from birds of the air, the activity of the devil in our lives, that you would protect it from the weaknesses in our own character, that you would protect it from the influence of the culture around us, the materialism and the self-reliance of our culture. Lord, that you would nurture it with sun and rain and, and yes, wind and storm. That you would nurture it and grow it so that we could be a blessing to those around us, so that we could be big enough for the birds of the air to fly in and take up their nests. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.